0: All right. I want to invite you to find your seats. We'll have time afterwards for fellowship and to hang out and catch up on life. Um, definitely encourage you, if you are visiting, to stick around for the, for the welcome lunch. And if any youth students are here, great opportunity. The question is, if God is such a loving God, why is there a thing called hell? So they get down to it. And so encourage any of our youth to come and investigate. And it's a place where it's safe and you are we want to listen to the questions and the things that you're wrestling with. But with that, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26. If I didn't uh, introduce myself, my name is Dan Song, and I'm one of the pastors here, so it's good to be together. Full crowd this morning, both at our first and second services. So it's just good to see. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. So feel free to use one of those. And if you don't have a Bible, Take that with you. It's our gift for you. And we'd love for you to investigate more about who this God that we worship is and answer any questions that you might have. But uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 26. We've been in this book for quite some time. And where we've been sort of looking at over this course of this last month in January is that David finds himself in the wilderness. And if you recall, there's 15 wilderness stories from chapter 21 All the way to the end of this book, 1 Samuel, there are 15 wilderness stories. And some scholars say that David probably was in the wilderness for about 10 years. 10 years in the wilderness, but not just in the wilderness. He's being chased by King Saul. And not just being chased, but wanting Saul to kill David. So not only is he watching his back, paranoid of everyone that he's running into, he can't find food, He's looking out for 600 men that have joined him, and he's tired. I mean, you can imagine being in the wilderness for a week, you know, just running out of food, and how tired and exhausting that can be, and how you'd be running on fumes. If we just take the fact that we're at chapter 26, we're about halfway there. So assume David's been in the wilderness for five long years, five long years being exhausted. But at the same time, holding in tension the fact that he's trying to live out his faith. Trusting in God, Yahweh, that says, you are my anointed king. And you will be king over Israel, my chosen one. He's trying to trust in God's faithfulness. He's trying to trust in God's providence. He's trying to trust that God will keep his promises in the wilderness for at least five years now. But as you will, as we all can attest to, We doubt God's promises in the wilderness. We doubt whether he will actually stay faithful. And the thing that we wrestle with, as David does, is do I take matters into my own hands? And the last two weeks, we've seen that. He wrestles with whether I take matters into my own hands. Chapter 24, he had the opportunity to kill Saul himself, but he doesn't. Chapter 25, he has the opportunity to kill Nabal. But he doesn't. And now for the third straight chapter, David finds himself with the opportunity to take matters into his own hands again. And this time it's Saul 2.0. He has a second opportunity to walk through this door and take it. But let's read what we see here in David's faith, starting in verse 6, and we'll, follow, we'll finish this, this entire chapter. Read along with me. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went into the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What, is, what evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the, in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. The grass withers and the flower fades, but thanks be to God that your word endures forever. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and may your word reign in us this day through your word this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this story this morning, I was immediately reminded of a movie called The Matrix, who has seen at least one of the four that, and the fourth one came out this past holiday season. Many of you, you don't need to have seen it for this to make sense, but in this Matrix, not trilogy, what do you call that now, quadrilogy or whatever, you know, whatever it is, there's this theme or notion of deja vu. We all know what that means. It's something that you just experienced that you feel like you've experienced before. Now, in the matrix, whenever there was a deja vu moment, it meant that there was a glitch in the matrix, meaning that the code of the matrix was altered or manipulated in a way where there was access given and and they had to do something about it. Now, the reason I share this story is that in one sense or another, you could argue this is deja vu. Chapter 26 is just like chapter four. Pastor John preached on it two Sundays ago. And as we looked at that, and as we read this story, some of you might have gone, well, isn't this the same story? Why are we hearing it again? Are you just going to re-preach what John preached on? I mean, I could have because we had a bunch of snow days and I got no work done this week. But I would say that critical scholars would argue this is deja vu, that this is basically the same story as chapter 24 here in 26. But you know how life works. There's so many stories in our life or experiences that we have that seem like deja vu, but we've experienced it on another day or any other given week. I mean, think about this past snowstorm that we had. If I told you about this snowstorm, and then I told you about January 2019 snowstorm where we had about 10 inches of snow, you would say you could argue that, we, that I was telling you the same exact story But yet with differences, like now we have a puppy that loves the snow. There were different inches of how much snow fell in St. Louis. While there are similarities, we see differences. And we see that that can be true of what we learn from God's word too. Though 24 and 26 are similar, I'm going to pivot and rather than focus on God's providence and promises that John preached on, What I want us to look at is what does faith look like? What does faith look like for us who are in the wilderness or have experienced the wilderness or will so? What does faith look like through the eyes of David this morning? Through three conversations that we read. David has three conversations with first Abishai, his nephew, that goes with him to kill or supposedly kill Saul. And then secondly, David's conversation with Abner, Saul's commander, his right-hand man. And then lastly, David's conversation with Saul himself. What do we learn about faith in the midst of the wilderness? So let's start with the first point. And the first point is this. Faith allows us to see with God's eyes. Now what's going on in this story? David has the opportunity to see exactly where Saul and his 3,000 men are. And so Saul, or David, brings Abishai, his nephew, with him in the middle of the night to go find Saul. David's been the prey every single time, but here we see this one time where he is the hunter. And in the middle of the night, Abishai and David go and find Saul sleeping in the center of the camp with a spear right by his head and a jug of water. And what does Abishai say? Read verse 8 with me. Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice, meaning I could kill him with one blow. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. Now, Here's what's going on. Abishai can only see one or another option. It's either kill him and become king, or if you don't kill him, you might die or you might never become king, right? It's doom or gloom. But what does David see? David doesn't just see one or two options. It's not one or the other he sees that there are multiple options that God has given to David. What does David say? He says, do not kill him because he is God's anointed. And we saw that two weeks ago, right? Just because there's an open door doesn't mean you just walk through it. Just because there's an open door doesn't give you permission. But what I want to focus on is David's reasoning. And he gives us three different ways in which Saul can die. It's not kill him in this moment or you're screwed or you're, you're, you're done. But what we see here is that there's three different options here. David or Saul can die on his own just because of death or some kind of illness or sickness or age. But he can also die by God striking him down, just like Nabal last week, right? Or thirdly, he could go into battle and die. David is able to have a faith that sees with God's eyes. All too often, we might think, well, that's common sense. But we think like Abishai. It's doom or gloom, one option or another. But what we see here is that there are multiple options. There's this book that I've been reading. And it's called Managing Leadership Anxiety by Steve Kuss. And he talks about different scenarios or sources for relational anxiety in a system. It could be church. It could be workplace. It could be even your own family system. And what he says is that one of the sources for anxiety, relational anxiety, is this term called double bind. And what a double bind is, it's that you feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. And the insidious nature of a double bind is that you think it's this option or there's nothing else. But what David is able to see is that that's not the case, Abishai. With faith, I have learned from last time that God can strike Nabal and Saul down as he wishes. God can do as he wants in his way, in his timing. Steve Cuss, in this book said this, God often has a path outside the two doomed options. And if you're able to pause and reflect at the options, you'll often find many more paths than you first thought. David has learned from last chapter with Nabal and God work, that God works outside of our human limitations, outside of our human constructs and confinements. And David has the eyes to see with God's eyes. That's not a double bind. That often, that there are many other ways in which God works and we can have faith in the midst of the wilderness that God will do so. The second thing as we continue in these conversations is that David tells Abishai to pick up the spear and the jug of water, right? And they go across the other side of the camp, far away from Saul and his 3,000 men. And he calls out to who? Not Saul, but to Abner, Saul's commander-in-chief. His right-hand man, he's actually his older uncle, the one that's a warrior that he puts all of his faith in to protect him. And so David calls out to Abner and read here in verse 15. What does Saul or David say to Abner? Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord, right? That was Abishai. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to tie because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Do you know what David's doing? He's talking trash. I appreciate someone laughing. David's talking trash. Good trash, too. He's basically saying, You stink. And you have failed at being Saul's commander-in-chief, his right-hand man. Because look what we have. Na-na-na-boo-boo. We got his spear and his jug of water. The spear that represented the authority of Saul, the power of Saul, the, the spear that almost killed David twice. This spear we have and the jug of water that's Saul's life and sustenance in the wilderness. We have now. You have failed. And the conversation that we see here that points us to what faith looks like is that faith allows us to see who our helper is. Isn't it ironic? David, Saul's right-hand man, fails to be Saul's helper. And who is his helper? David. The man that Saul hates. The man that he has complete vengeance and murder on his mind and in his eyes to kill with jealousy and resentment. He wants to kill David. But David is Saul's true helper. And if that's not clear, what's really interesting is that the writer of this story actually talks about this deep sleep that the entire camp had. Like you probably are thinking, how can that be? Like Saul or David and Abishai go into a camp of 3,000 men and no one hears them talking. No one hears them leave and come in and leave the camp. Well, why? In verse 12, the writer says, God put a deep sleep upon the army and Saul, and Abner. Where have you read about the deep sleep before? Genesis 2. Genesis 2, where God puts a deep sleep on Adam. Why? To give him a helper. And this is what one commentator said. This deep sleep suggests that Saul was an Adam sleeping in the garden, waiting for his helper to be revealed. Who is this true helper? It's David not Abner but David and in David's conversation we see that faith allows us to see who our helper is it's a theme that we see we saw last week and we see this week who is your helper in the midst of the wilderness do you have abigails do you have people in your life that can speak truth with grace and sacrifice and humility who are those people? But even more so, what we need to look to is not just the human, humans in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, but God. Throughout Scripture, <coughs> from the Old Testament to the New, we see that God is our true helper. Look at Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then if you have been following with us in our Bible reading plan, we just started Exodus this week. And when Moses is called upon by God to go rescue and deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt, what does Moses say? He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not articulate enough. And what does God do? He gives him a helper in Aaron. But ultimately, that human companion and helper is good. But we see God's help reign over the entire situation. God is the one who gives plagues. God is the one who hardens hearts. God is the one who allows the people of God to, to leave to the promised land in the midst of their bondage. And that's what we need to be able to see with faith in the wilderness. God is our true helper. Though sometimes we are blind to it because of our circumstances. Faith allows us to see our true helper in our God and in our Savior. Now while Abner and Saul are talking, it's cut short because guess who interrupts this conversation? It's Saul himself. Saul hears David's voice from across the camp and he asks, is that my son David? And David responds, yes. And in this dialogue, we see exactly what happened in chapter 24. Saul is repentant, if you can use that word. He's sorrowful. He says, I have sinned. He acknowledges his guilt. He acknowledges even his foolishness. And he invites David back. Now David knows better. He doesn't even go to return the spear. He has one of his men come to to take the spear and the jug of water but this is also going to be the last time that Saul and David ever meet and face each other. The last time. They don't know it, but this is the last time they will ever see each other again. And it's just so interesting that Saul's last words to... or. Saul's last words to David is a benediction. It's a blessing. In verse 25, it says, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Saul's pronouncing this benediction over him as the last words from his enemy. But what's really poignant or notable about David's conversation with Saul is actually found in verse 19 and 20. Can you read it with me here? Look at what... David says to Saul, Now therefore, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. What we see here in this conversation is that faith is lived out in covenant community. Faith is lived out in covenant community. And why I say that here is what David is saying is this. David is saying if the reason you are chasing me and wanting to kill me is because it's from God and I am guilty, then I will bring a sacrifice and an offering to be burnt because I have done wrong. But if you are chasing me and wanting to kill me because of your vengeance and your your insecurities and your anger and your desire to continue to reign as king then curse be you and your men. You know why? Curse be you and your men because you have chased me out from my covenant community. He's using the word heritage to speak of his covenant family, the people of God that he has not been with for over five years. And he's running on fumes. He's exhausted. He's tired. And what he acknowledges and realizes in the wilderness is that he needs his faith community. His covenant brothers and sisters that he misses and longs for from the deep, from deep down in his bones. And he says, this is the reason they're calling me to serve other gods. And he's actually prophetic next week, or not next week, but in the next chapter. That's what he does. He sleeps with the enemy, the Philistines. And he plays this shady role, playing double, both sides. He's tired and he's exhausted and he realizes his, he needs his covenant community. How about us? Isn't that why we gather Sunday mornings to be renewed in our covenant love with God? Isn't that why we gather as community groups to be encouraged in fellowship? Isn't that why we gather on Wednesday nights to learn of who God is and his character in Jesus? We gather because this is what we need, whether you're in the wilderness or not. And I know some of us here in this room, you have lost your covenant community over the last month, and you're in a place of grieving, and you're in a place of anger, and you find yourself living in the wilderness. How desperately we need covenant family, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are running dry, when we're exhausted. Don't take that for granted. I even find myself in that place where because of the pandemic and because there now is an option, right? This is how I think about it. Before the pandemic, it was whether rightly or wrongly, right? We came because it was a thing you do on Sunday mornings. And by God's grace, he meets you and you're encouraged. But now we're at a place where we have options. We can stay home. We've now broken that cycle and that habit. And so it's easy even for me when we're on vacation or whatever, to be able to say, ah, I don't need to go to church. Like, there's a million churches I could watch on YouTube. But don't take your covenant community for granted. We need it. It is our source line. It is where we are encouraged and nourished and strengthened in the midst of the wilderness. I think that's what the wilderness is. It's such a hard place. It often leaves us feeling confined or stuck and unable to see with the eyes of God. The wilderness is a place where we can feel alone and feel like we have no helper to aid us, let alone God, because he feels so distant and far, and we feel isolated many times in the wilderness from our covenant community that God has given us, and we're just running on fumes like David and have nothing to offer. But let me remind you this morning that you're not alone in that. I've been there I'll be there again. And many of us, brothers and sisters, the church are there as well. One of our former sisters, who's a member here, Kelly Long, she's now an RUF intern at MIT. And RUF is a uh, college ministry of our denomination. And just this past week or maybe last week, she sent a support letter of just how she's doing. And as I read it basically encapsulated everything that we just looked at this morning of what faith looks like. And I just want to read it to you with permission from Kelly. Let me read this and then we'll close today. But this is what she writes. From my conversations with a few of you over this past break, a common point of struggle I've seen is in our mutual call to perseverance. Perseverance in work, in relationships, and in every other endeavor that saturates this lifetime. Still, when we are stuck in the real, lived-out moments of our efforts, an honest but banal remark often isn't enough to mitigate our absolute exhaustion. But the Lord sees us and provides for us. Thus, we can always find hope and encouragement in our times of need. And one of the most utmost sources of encouragement I've recognized is the brothers and sisters we've been given to persevere in these hardships. We have those who have already gone before us, like the Apostle Paul, who spent his life exemplifying what it means to strain forward to what lies ahead, that which is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We also have those who are here in this life to bear part of the weight of our burdens so that our burdens are a tad lighter for us to carry ourselves. You have done that for me through your prayers and words of encouragement, and I hope that I can do that for you as well. The world is dark and the enemy is going to do everything in his power to prevent us from being the beacon of light that we are called each to be. However, we are not alone in this battle. Jesus, who has called us to persevere, persevered first in our stead so that now that it's our turn, our perseverance may be filled with joy in knowing that all is endured for the consummation of his glorious work. May we strive Forward towards that day of completion with confidence and joy, knowing that it is coming soon. That'll preach. Thankful for Kelly. This is exactly what I wanted to say. She nailed it on the head. Jesus has first endured and persevered for us. It's seen here at the table. He didn't just persevere and endure. He sacrificed himself. It wasn't a double bind for Jesus. He could have called the angels as the, as the people mocked him, saying, call down the angels to rescue you. He could have done that. But He chose to stay on the cross because it was the only way for love to be exemplified fully for us. Love that endures and perseveres because of his sacrifice for you and for me. He is our true helper where his body was broken and his blood shed so that in the midst of whatever we go through in the wilderness, he is there for us because he understands and sympathizes with our weakness, as the Hebrew writer says. This is our God who comes near to us. That In the midst of the wilderness, do you see him? Even as we sung this morning, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. May that be our hope and encouragement this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. And you do hold us fast, though we might not feel it or experience it. Show us it this day. As we come to the table, give us eyes to see of your body that was torn and your blood that was shed. For you are our true helper. You are our God. And you are the one who will deliver us when you come again. So may we find our hope in you this morning as we get to eat and drink, not by ourselves, but with our covenant family. Do that good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.